Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. And Rahul, my friend, I'm going to be relying on you heavily for this episode, as I've been bad as a Chelsea fan this week. That's not a problem at all. <laughs> the Leeds game was a very, very, very early kickoff for me here. I actually did wake up and hit snooze a couple of times and overslept the first half. Got into the second half, and I think you can wrap up that game a little bit better than I did as far as what happened. Passed out again. <laughs> and then for the Champions League game, which was a thriller, didn't really get a chance to watch it as I was working. I don't have to say much more for the Leeds game. <laughs> you summed it up. <laughs> All right, my friend, why don't we jump into the Leeds game since it should be a quick review from what you're telling me here. Yeah, it was it was early, like you said. Um, not a lot to write home about. Ed Wall, Mendy kept us in nice. the game. And um, we picked up a point, which in hindsight, not a bad point to pick up because everyone around us uh, or below us in terms of the top four positions, drop points except for Liverpool. So I think it's a good point, especially away to a tough Leeds team. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it is definitely one of those teams that on their day can beat anybody. I think we've talked about that several times before. So I don't know if you want to run through the lineup maybe very quickly just to see who played, because I think it might have an impact on the big game we want to review, which is Atletico Madrid. Absolutely. So, like I said, Mendy in goal, Espelacueta, Christensen, Rudiger, Ben Chilwell, uh, Jorginho Conte, Pulisic making his first start under Tuchel in the Premier League, Mason Mount, Hakim Ziyech, and Kai Havertz, who got a second consecutive game. Uh, so that was the first 11. Good to see Kai Havertz coming back into the fold and starting more games. I think he's getting a little bit better, in my opinion, as he plays through the games, but I was personally excited to see Christian Pulisic. A lot of talk in the U.S. media specifically. I don't know what it's like in England necessarily, but the U.S. media loves to talk about Christian Pulisic missing a game and not performing or not playing. And I think that his time will come, and I think he'll get more opportunities. It's just a matter of finding the best front three. And Christian, obviously, when he gets his opportunity, needs to take it with both hands. Definitely. And I mean, I think the English media had a few questions for Tuchel around Pulisic and he handled them well. He said, it's on me. Um, and I think we touched on most of those in the last episode. So it was definitely good to see him back in the lineup and pretty decent. I would say if, you know, he, one of the crosses that he puts in gets finished, he gets an assist. And so he had a good, decent outing and um, I'm just hoping to see more of him. Good. Yeah, same page. So really, like you said, there's not too much to talk about with regards to the Leeds game. Very defensive. We did have a couple of opportunities here and there. Why don't we talk on another big game that did happen that weekend, which was Arsenal versus Spurs? Yeah, North London derby. And man, this the Premier League's just so, so funny and, and interesting because you would come into this game thinking Spurs win, hands Agreed, down. Yeah. I mean, Arsenal have been shooting themselves in the foot defensively and Spurs have been full up flying, scoring goals for fun. Bale's back and Spurs go and lose 2-1. And it was interesting because the game actually started off without their star talisman striker in Obama Yang. I don't know if we've talked about that a little bit and maybe we need to cover that as well. 
I, I'm not sure what you made of the scenario. It was kind of confusing because Mikel Arteta likes to play his cards close to his chest. But as the day developed, I guess, more and more news came out that basically Obama Yang was late to match day. And when I say late to match day, it doesn't mean he didn't make it to the actual event on time. There are some things you got to be there ahead of time before the match to prepare for. And he was late. In fact, I don't know if this is true or not, so take it for what it is. There were some pictures circling around social media where he was parked in traffic trying to make it to match day. So poor Obama Yang didn't make it. But they didn't need him. They really did not need him. I think Arsenal were the better team overall on that day. I, I did get a chance to watch this game. And they did not really put a foot wrong. They wanted to win this game. You could see they were hungry for it. And they performed. Now... There was one slight controversial moment, and I would love to get your take on it, and that was the penalty that I think his name is Davidson Sanchez gave on Lacazette. And for anybody who didn't watch the game, the ball kind of skipped away from Lacazette when he swung his foot, and then Sanchez tackled him, almost as if the gameplay was over, because now the ball is rolling away, and the tackle comes in afterwards, and the penalty was given. I am not an Arsenal fan. I'm not a Spurs fan. I'm kind of a neutral in this particular position. And I didn't think it was a penalty, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, in real time, when I watched it, I thought it was a penalty because you just see Sanchez making a rash and a bad decision to, to just jump into a tackle. But having seen it again and seen different angles, which is the benefit of what VAR has, you can clearly see that Sanchez is trying to block a shot that he thinks Lacazette's about to take. And Lacazette, like you said, completely messes it up um, and then kind of falls into and Sanchez bumps into him and the referee gives the penalty and VAR really should have overturned it, but but they did it. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But, but honestly, I think sometimes Jose Mourinho and Spurs tend to hide behind certain decisions and whatnot. Long story short, I think Arsenal were the better team at the end of the day and, and definitely deserved the win there. So not too much more to talk about that. I think you and I are itching to jump into our Champions League review. And boy, oh boy, I don't think either of us or many of the fans listening either would have expected such a dominating, I repeat, dominating performance from Chelsea. I was so <laughs> nervous ahead of this game. I, I I don't even know. I was like, well, what are we going to do? I was trying to play it out in my mind, and it got to a point where I was like, I just need to stop thinking about this game. Um, and you're totally right. I did not for one second think we would come out and win and dominate in the way that we did. And not taking anything away from what, what Tuchel and the boys did, but I also think Atletico helped us in a way that we didn't think they would. Yeah, I think that's a fair point as far as how they perform, but... Let me quickly run through the starting lineup just to show some, you know, tendencies on what the previous match was and who he picks, because I think you've called him Tinkerman Tuchel several times. So let's go through his starting lineup here in Mendy in goal, Aspilicueta Zuma back in the middle of that three with Antonio Rudiger. Beast James, as you like to call him, <laughs> playing the right wing back position. Ingolo Kante, we're going to talk about this man heavily today. Pairing Kovacic in the middle and the return of Marcos Alonso playing at left wing back. The front three of Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz, and Timo Werner. So a couple of things here is Ziyech and Havertz get to play back-to-back -back games, which is it's good to see. 
Mason Mount was out. I think we've talked about that on a suspension as well as Jorginho. So some of his hand was forced, but a little bit of rotation there again. Let's jump right into Kurt Zuma. I think Andreas Christensen came down with some injuries, uh, illnesses, I must say, the night before the game or the morning of the game. So Zuma comes in and I thought he was brilliant, Rahul. I don't know about you. What did you think? He was brilliant. I mean, he played in that middle, uh, the central center half. And the last time he did that was against Southampton. And we know how that went in terms of uh, Minamino, you know, peeling off of him. But in this game, he was uh, excellent. No mistakes and fully focused. And the, for the fact that I think Tuchel mentioned that Zuma found out just the morning of right. the game that he'd be playing. Uh, you could see how determined he was to make sure that uh, his performance and, and his presence in the team didn't affect everyone else. Yep. So I think really Atletico started pretty well, I would say, in the first few minutes from what you've told me about the game. Uh, like I said, I didn't get to watch too much of it. So do you have any plays you want to run by? Yeah. So like you said, Atletico started well. I think they surprised us a little bit with their formation. They came out in a 4-4-2 or 4-4-1-1 kind of situation where Joe Felix and Suarez were interchanging and we just took a little bit to adjust to it but after the first 10 minutes where atletico looked like they you know they had come in with some purpose and intent we just took over and started playing our game counter pressing them and this was a, a thing that we did in the first leg too which was we just pressed them and pressed them in their half and avoided uh you know any counter attacks or any ability of atletico to break and get the ball into our box. And that was excellent to see because this has only been about two months under Tuchel. And we've picked up some very good habits that prevent us from just getting hit, you know, while we're in the attack on the other side. So uh, that was one of the key points for me. Yeah, and those players you talk about that were pressing, in the past, you and I, I'm going to be a little bit honest, have been slightly critical of them as far as pace and energy goes but i think whether they're rallying because tuchel is getting them moving or it's a champions league night so everybody's up and and ready for it but even the players like maybe an aspiliqueta or an alonso or even a rudiger that we would historically call a little bit slow really really pressed and pressed and pressed every time i mean at, at one point i think luis suarez and jao felix were so frustrated it was almost like every time they came close to our defense they were put in the pocket it was done Put them in the pocket, lock them up, and they are not coming out. They did not get sight of goal at all. They didn't, and you're 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 totally right. The players that we in the past were doubting, questioning if they were good enough to be at this club, have stepped up and have bought into the formation, the tactics, and the way Tucho wants to play, which is very good to see and something we've seen in the past under Conte, where he changed the system and the players bought in, and we were rewarded with the Premier League win, but um, not trying to be negative or anything. The, the real test is going to be once the season's ended and the players have had a time to go away and refresh and relax, coming back to it next season. But we'll leave it for then. <laughs> I was going to say, you're jumping a little bit too far ahead. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, coming back to this game, you're absolutely right. Every time Atletico had an attack, they were in the pocket of our defenders. And if it wasn't defenders, it was the midfielders. Uh, so, absolutely, a great performance from Mendy all the way up to Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Yeah, and we're just talking about the first half here. Why don't you take us through the first half goal? Yeah, so 
I gotta be honest, I've been saying we only score from penalties, <laughs> we only score from wonder goals, and there's no thought process behind our attacks, but this was a goal that, you know, had a, a lot of thought process, and we saw exactly why he played Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and Ziyech. And so it's come, coming from Atletico attacking us in our half. Uh, Trippier puts in a cross. Conte heads it. It falls to Havertz, who does well to get to it before Trippier. Uh, and then finds Timo Werner, who's on his bike, ready to run into Atletico's box. Uh, and he picks up the ball and runs into the box and slides it to Hakim Ziyech, who scores his first Stamford Bridge goal. Awesome, awesome, awesome goal all around. It was good to see Hakim Ziyech score a goal. Ultimately, I think Hakim's goal was a tap-in, but to take nothing away from the build-up, that was incredible. And I think you summarized it perfectly in Havertz hustling, maybe is the right word, to get that ball ahead of everybody else. Release Timo Werner the way that he knows how to, and... This man, look, listen, he's got a lot of criticism. He's got a lot of people saying he's not good enough. That night he was. He showed what Timo Werner can do when Timo Werner is on his form. And he just lit a blaze on the pitch as he was running towards there. And he had one thought in his mind. I'm going to make it into the box and I'm going to make an opportunity. Now, I thought he was going to shoot. But the, the awareness of mind to look up and say, here's my friend. Let me slide it over to him and he can slot it in. And... Rahul, I got to be honest, I was very, very nervous for that moment because I think Jan Oblak was about an inch, maybe less from touching the ball. It's like <laughs> Hakim Ziyech tried to put it so close to him, but I'm so glad it rolled into the net in the end. You're totally right. It, Timo Werner actually started yeah. this move by pressing Trippier, who was about to cross it, uh, and forces him into this cross, which then falls to Kante. And like I said, we score from it. Uh, so credit to Timo Werner. We've said it multiple times here on Instagram that he doesn't give up. He's had a tough season. He's had issues with goals and issues with just overall play, but he doesn't stop trying. And he was rewarded in, in this game by showing that it doesn't matter about the goals. He can provide assists. And I think this was his seventh assist of the season. Awesome, yeah. Uh, so definitely a, a guy who has the right mindset. And things will only get better for him. So that goal came, I think it was like right on the stroke of halftime when they scored that goal, which I think ultimately did a couple of things. It settled Chelsea. Yes, we were the better team anyway so far, but it mentally settled us that we've got a result from all the hard work. And I think it got Atletico Madrid to second guess themselves a little bit. Now, you said this earlier, so I want to talk about it a little bit. I think Atletico Madrid changed their style of football a little bit as opposed to what they typically play, which for Diego Simeone and, and the great coach that he is, they are a very defensively tight team. But that first half, they kept taking chances and they kept bombing forward and keeping open spaces, which I wonder if that's a mistake on their part or credit to Tuchel where he changed a few things to force Atletico out of their shell. I think it's a little bit of both. The Atletico were chasing that away goal mm -hmm. and so they knew they had to score at some point. I was just surprised that they wanted that goal right. so early in this game that they left space behind their defense for Timo Werner, which they knew was was our outlet every time. And so uh, I think it's a little bit of them being a little overly excited because they conceded from a cross that they were trying to put into our box, which right. is for a coach like Simeone, that's criminal. Absolutely. Uh but on Tuchel's side, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he stuck to it. 
which is credit to him. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. So definitely, I don't want to say it's a fault of Atletico Madrid, but two sides to this coin here where I think we were brilliant on our day and Atletico Madrid let in a little bit of a uh, of a gap there. Now, we went into that second half. There are a couple of changes. Do you want to take us through anything there? Yeah, so Atletico made a change at halftime. They took off Lodi, who was on a yellow card, and brought on Hermoso. Didn't affect the overall game at all uh, because we were still finding space in behind them. Uh, Timo Werner, I think in the first three or four minutes, could have scored himself. Uh, but either way, didn't give up and kept trying. And Atletico then just started throwing on attacking players. Dembele comes on, uh, Correa comes on, but then Suarez goes off, which told me that Simeone almost wanted to save him for La Liga, which is what they were relying on, at, I guess, at this point. Um, so that was good. Suarez goes off, not a shot on goal, I believe, and hasn't scored an away Champions League goal since 2016. Wow, that's a good stat there, my friend. Yeah, so uh, that in itself, shutting up a, a prolific striker like Suarez was an achievement for us. But it didn't end there. Uh, Chelsea themselves made some changes. Pulisic comes on for Ziyech, Hudson-Odoi for Werner. Um, I'm jumping ahead in some of the substitutions, but we will tie it back at the end. So Chilwell and Emerson came on right at the end of the game. Um, and before I get to the goal that we scored... Uh, at the end of the game, there was a red card for Savage from Atletico who elbows Rudiger while we're defending a cor- corner in our box. And did Rudiger make the most of it? I think he did. But there was an elbow that was thrown his way, and so he was well within his rights to go down. Right. No, I get that. But I think I, I, ultimately, I don't think that affected the result of the game i think it's just something that happened unfortunately and i'm not going to sit here and tell you i like when players go down a little bit easy it benefited benefited us this time but i have to be honest i really don't like when players go down that easy now he in fairness to him he may have got contact and felt something but i always prefer you stand on your feet and let let the referee know what happened and and they're watching there's var and there's different things today to let you know but why don't we jump into the goal now because you talked about two players and Honestly, I was scratching my head when <laughs> they came on in the 94th minute, and that was Emerson Palmieri and Ben Chilwell. I'm not really sure how the formation was looking with two two left backs coming on at the same time. It didn't it didn't really um, add up for me. Maybe you can shed some light on what he was trying to play in the last few minutes, or was he just trying to pack the defense and take that 2-0 aggregate win? I think he was just trying to give a few minutes to a couple of guys. <laughs> And Emerson hasn't featured at all, I guess maybe under him in the Barnsley game. But apart from that, he hasn't played much. And so he comes on for, I think it was Havertz. So he was playing in the attacking half. Right. Um, and he scores from his first touch, which obviously comes from a counterattack that we're doing. And he's running alongside uh, Pulisic, who lays it off to him. And his first touch is literally a goal into the bottom right or left corner. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about the goal for a minute. So, honestly, the run from Pulisic was really, really shades of Aiden Hazard. And I think many people have made these comparisons before that he has that movement and that fluidity and that speed when he's on his day. And it was wonderful to just see him charging at Atletico. Yes, the 94th minute. Yeah, they're exhausted. But that's what you know Pulisic can do, and he does it brilliantly. And he placed the ball over to the left, which is really inch perfect for Emerson to just slot it home. But I talked about this man, and you and I need to talk about Ingolo Kante covering the entire planet 
in that entire game because it was the 94th minute. We're winning 2-0 on aggregate. So even if Atletico Madrid do a wonderful counter and come back, we're taking this game and we're going. But he made a lung-busting run. I think it was from our penalty box, if I'm not mistaken, when I watched some of the highlights, from our penalty box, mind you, 94th minute, into Atletico Madrid's penalty box. Why am I telling you guys this? It's because when he makes those runs, he actually pulls the attention of some of the defenders who could be going to block a Pulisic run and block ultimately Palmieri, Emerson. And he just makes the space and it actually helps. And people don't notice certain things like this, but wow, what a player we have here. Um. I'm glad we saved N'Golo Kante for the end because it's just his world, his planet, and we're living in it. Uh, what a performance. I mean, I posted that picture at the end of the first half with him uh, covering the rest of the world uh, in, in terms of you know what he was doing. And he just went a step forward in the second half and took it to the next level. And man, he was everywhere. In our box defending, in midfield picking up passes, intercepting, and going into attack. Uh, what a joy to watch. And a hard, hard-working player that we've missed, really, for the last year or so. Because he's been in and out with injuries and uh, just not been himself. But this was the player that we bought and we saw him throughout that game. It is the... Ingolo Kante of old, I'm not trying to jinx it, but it is that Ingolo Kante of old where he literally covers every blade of of grass on the pitch. It's like, what is his heat map? And it's in the entire pitch is covered with Ingolo Kante, like you posted on Instagram where he covers the entire world. No, it is something unique in this player, Rahul, in the fact that what is his strength is that he's a strong, strong defensive midfielder. But I don't recall a defensive midfielder that makes those lung-busting runs into the final third to help out with the offense and then turn around and get back and continue doing his defensive duties, which is incredible to watch. I don't know if you have any stats for us on him. Yeah, so, I mean, I I think we would refer to him in the modern day as a box-to-box midfielder, which is what he does. Right. Um, and so I really wanted Pulisic to pass it to him because I was like, this guy just deserves <laughs> to take this shot. Uh, but Pulisic made the right call and Emerson gets the goal that, you know, he deserves. And uh, we didn't talk about the crowd going wild and Thiago Silva and Jorginho and Mount. Um, that was, that was great a great see, scene. But coming yeah, back, that was a wonderful scene. Yeah. It's, it's, I, let me be honest with you, Rahul. I'm glad you brought that up. Is I love Mason Mount. I've loved Thiago Silva. I've talked very highly of both of them, and and so have you. Jorginho, on the other hand, I've been very critical of, and I, I think he's not everybody's cup of tea. Several people online and several pundits have said he doesn't just fit in. But to see the passion from him celebrating the Chelsea win like he's one of us really helps me when I don't necessarily appreciate for what he is as a footballer, because he plays a different style, a different tempo, a different position. The love that he showed that day and the celebrations that he had for Chelsea just make him somebody that I can admire as a Chelsea player. You're you're absolutely right. And uh, regardless of what we think about him, he always gives us all on and off the pitch like we saw. So uh, that was definitely a very, very exciting moment for us fans of the club to see these guys celebrating like the fans would have if they were there. Um, and apart from that, just touching on Thiago Silva before we go back to Conte, throughout that second half, he was, you couldn't tell this man was injured because he was just on his feet, barking out instructions and 
living every moment of that half. Yeah, I think he's got that captain feel about him, almost like a John Terry or Frank Lampard or even a Cristiano Ronaldo when Portugal were playing in the Euros, where they just stand on the and they want to stand on the sidelines and they want to feel every moment and cheer their team on all the way through. Definitely. So, uh, coming back to Conte, I mean, we spoke about how good he was just to back it up with some numbers. He uh, gained possession, regained possession 13 times in that game. Uh, he completed 55 passes in the opposition half. Now, we we refer to him as a defensive player, but you can see what he's doing uh, on the other side of the, of the pitch. Uh, he made the second most touches in this game, only second to Aspilicueta. And, you know, overall, he was just influential in everything we did. I think you're trying to call him out as your man of the match, it sounds like. <laughs> I, there has to be no other choice. If you give me another name, I, I'm going to be pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't argue too much on that. Really, he was brilliant and... As we've touched on already, I hope he stays fit because this is the N'Golo Conte we've missed since we signed him from Leicester. I, I agree. And I think credit to Tuchel again. We've questioned him with the tinkering. We've questioned him with why aren't certain players playing. And Conte was one such player in the beginning that did not feature much under him. And yes, he was injured and coming back from injury. And Tuchel said, listen, I need to manage his minutes. And that's exactly what he's done to get him to a point where he plays 94, 95 minutes and is able to run up and down like it's the first minute. Right, yeah, and that's what's going to give us the strength to go towards the end of the season with fully fit players. I think it's something that's important and definitely credit to Tuchel to know that if he's going to manage them correctly, we have a fully fit squad to make a good run in this Champions League. Absolutely. So uh, apart from Conte, I mean, we've mentioned Zuma. Rudiger was very good too. Aspilicueta, solid as as always. Eduardo Mendy made saves when he was called upon. Um, and then we've spoken about the attacking trio as well. And one player we didn't touch on, but always, always, always makes a difference is Kovacic. Uh, with his... ...play. Uh, so I think everyone on that team was at least an 8 or a 9 or a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I think that's good analysis. It just shows that everybody wanted this. And I think there's a reason for this. I think Chelsea have not been into the quarterfinals of the Champions League in several years. I think the last time was maybe 2016-17, maybe. Yeah, so it's been even longer than that. So it's time that we're back up there. We need this. And you can see the joy. Like, let's go back to Thiago Silva and... You know, Mount, and another guy who's going to be making it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League in his young, young Chelsea career. I mean, you can't write this stuff up. It's pure passion. So as critical as people have been of Tuchel, and so have, so have I, as a person, been critical of him, it's good to see that he's pushing us in this direction. I I, I totally agree with you. And uh, I'm excited for us to be in the quarterfinals. I know we'll touch on the next stage in just a little bit, but... Uh, Long may it continue, and we go as deep as we can in this competition, and you never know what happens. I'm not saying we're going to win it or we're going to be in the final or anything, but as long as we're in it, I think players believe, the club believes, and we have a manager who was in the final last season, so you never know what happens. I believe, Rahul. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> no, it was hard. It was hard, right? In the beginning when Tuchel started and we were struggling under Frank. And don't get me wrong. I'm never going to for- forget Frank Lampard. Obviously not. But these are things that help. And I think you and I talked about this was would Tuchel face a backlash from the fans because he came after Frank Lampard? And the answer that you and I gave was it doesn't really matter as long as he keeps the team performing and he keeps going in the right direction. This helps. It helps tremendously. Like you said, we haven't been to the quarterfinals of the Champions League since 2014-15 season. It's time we're back here and it's time that we perform and make a good run for this because it does mean a lot. It does. And, and the other thing that he's doing is he's just basically writing some history of his own with the club. Uh, so we can touch on, on that, which is 13 games unbeaten. In his, first 13 games, I mean. And that's the longest ever unbeaten run by a manager for the club, period. Which is rivaling managers like Mourinho, who had the you know the immense, immense seasons that he started with. You've got other amazing managers like uh, Scolari had a great start to his season. Of course, it didn't end so well. You've had Gus Hiddink come in, Mourinho again, Antonio Conte. I mean, the list goes on and on. And one thing I'll touch on, because I want to also bring ourselves back to reality a little bit is another manager that had a great start to their Chelsea career was actually Maurizio Sarri. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Yes, he had a great start to his career, but we never really bought into Maurizio Sarri. And I think the answer is there's a few things behind that. One is it's the style of play, which is ultimately we have a lot of the ball and there's no end product. Now with Tuchel, there seems to be end product, but it's always teetering on are we going to score? We're we not going to score. The Atletico Madrid game was a different story, and I'm glad to see that. But the other thing we need to talk about is man management, which I think Tuchel has done well so far, barring a couple of things that you and I have discussed and we couldn't understand. But also, I think it's the press. The way he handles the press so eloquently and how he's able to shut them down with their silly comments that they start, it's so amicable to watch. And I think other other fans of other clubs can go... He's funny, but he's also smart with the way he answers his questions, not to kind of put us into a corner. And that's something Mauricio Sarri could never do. You're spot on. And Tuchel, you can see, is almost like a breath of fresh air uh, coming into the club, obviously with the tactics and everything. But, you know, when he talks to the press, he's totally honest. He's basically telling you what he wants to do with the club and in games. Um, and And you can see when he says, I will give players time, like, I will give players the opportunity to play because he's done that with the Conte. He's done that with the Christensen. He's doing that with Chilwell now because he was out for a little bit and he's coming back. So I think he's he's almost a couple of steps ahead of everyone else because he's looking at, okay, I have Atletico Madrid, I have Sheffield, then I have the international break, and then I have the rest of the season. And he's just thinking ahead. And it's working out for him. And like we said, what other way for players to believe than see the results on the field? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's really what summarizes this. And we've talked about a man of the match. We're going to the quarterfinals. I'm super pumped that we're going to the quarterfinals. But I think another subject we need to talk about here is who else is going to the quarterfinals along with Chelsea? Yeah, so before I mention the teams, this is the first time in history of the Champions League that four managers from the same country will reach the quarterfinals. And these four managers all seem to be German. <laughs> and so obviously Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp with Liverpool, uh, Edin Terzic with Borussia Dortmund, and Hansi Flick with Bayern Munich. So half 
of the managers in the quarterfinals are from Germany. So a 50-50% chance that German would win, and Chelsea's in there. So I'm, I'm liking these odds, man. <laughs> me too, me too. So uh, the draw happens Friday morning, and the teams, other teams apart from Chelsea in the draw are Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, like we just mentioned, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool, PSG, Porto, and Dortmund. So, Jackie, I have a question. Go ahead. And it is, who do you want in the next round? I think I was going to ask you the exact same question, so you beat me to the punch, my friend. At this point, there are no easy teams. Let me just put that out there really, really quickly. There are no easy teams. Now, if we go back and forth, we can pick the weakest of these teams, but I want to play Bayern Munich, my friend. I want to get them out of the way go back to what we struggled with last season and see how far we've come underneath Tuchel. I know I know you're probably going to disagree with me here, so I'm willing to hear what you have to say. But I'm, I'm ready for the challenge, man. I feel more confident than ever. We were already nervous against <laughs> Atletico. Why would you want us to go through another two-legged, nervy affair against a free-scoring Bayern? Like, no, that's a no for me. All right, so who would you who would you like to play in the quarterfinals? Uh, obviously, the the team that everyone wants is Porto. And no disrespect to them. We saw what they did to Juventus. Uh, but they have been having kind of an on and off season. And they sit about 10 points behind in the Portuguese league. Uh, so they are kind of not having the best season. But we saw what they did to Juventus again. I just feel we can take them on... Because we're solid defensively. And we could obviously nick a couple of goals. Because Juventus had tons of chances that they just didn't put away. Um, so that's the first choice. Uh, the second choice, I think, would be between Real Madrid and Liverpool. Because these are two teams that aren't firing on all cylinders. And I think we could take them on. I don't want a Bayern Munich or Manchester City at this point. <laughs> what about PSG? Uh, I mean, I think that's what we'll end up with because it's just written in the stars. Right. I mean, uh, Tuchel's with us, Thiago Silva's with us. So if that happens, that's another tough, tough, tough game. But like you said, at this stage of the, the competition, all the teams are tough. I like your analysis and the teams you've gone for with Porto and maybe Liverpool even. It makes a lot of sense, but... I think ultimately you're going to move on if you beat the so-called weaker team and, and face one of these giants anyway. So, yes, we'd love to move forward, but I want to see how far we've come underneath Tuchel. We do look solid defensively. It's been a year in the making since we played. It's not even been a year. It's been a little bit less because of the whole COVID break, and we played Bayern Munich again later on. So it's been interesting to see, and I want to see how far we've come. But ultimately, I'm still very excited. We've made it this far to the quarterfinals, and from here... Really, anybody can beat anybody because it's knockout format. You've just got to be best on that. Agreed. And uh, it's not just a quarterfinal draw because once they make the quarterfinal draw, they also do the semifinals. Right. So we'll know what our next couple of games are in the Champions League. Again, not getting ahead of ourselves and saying, oh, we're in the semifinal, but we'll know what waits for us once we get there. Uh, so fingers crossed and toes crossed and hope Man City don't pull out Porto. They always get. Uh, but we'll see what happens and we'll definitely talk about it on Instagram like we always do and get some feedback from our listeners. 
Yeah, maybe a poll or something to see what other people are thinking of as a quarterfinal challenger. But I think that wraps up the Champions League review. Obviously, a fun, fun one to watch. If you haven't watched it like me, go back and watch the highlights. It was a brilliant, brilliant game. But I think we need to talk about why London continues to be blue and rub a little bit of salt in the wound here. Rahul, I heard you watched a UEFA Cup or what they call the Europa League these days. Europa League game covering our favorite uh, London Derby friends in Tottenham Hotspur. I did. And, you know, I tuned in not thinking that this was going to be what it turned out to be. I just tuned in because I was like, oh, the Europa League is on. Let me see what Spurs are up to. And tuned in for the second half, and I don't regret it <laughs> one bit. <laughs> You're a little bit too excited for this update here. I mean, it's it's Tottenham Hotspur. You kind of expect them to do these things, but the manner in which they did it just makes it more enjoyable for me. Uh, so I'll give you a rundown. They were 2-0 up from the first leg that they played last week against Dinamo Zagreb, and they traveled to Croatia for the second leg. And first 45 minutes, nil-nil. Uh, second 45 minutes... and let, Hold on, let me preface this by saying... Dinamo's manager <laughs> resigned about a week, 10 days ago, because he was involved in a, a fraud scandal or something and currently is in jail. <laughs> so coming back to the second half now, Spurs can see a very good goal. I mean, it was he cuts in, I think his name was Orsic or Orsic, um, and bends one in from the right-hand side, 1-0. All right, you're like, okay, can, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And Mourinho makes a couple of changes, and Spurs are just going through the motions. You can't really see any intent from them. 2-0. Game ends, 90 minutes. They go into extra time. Again, Spurs just did not break out of that, you know, like, oh, my God, where we might be going out. They just kind of kept going through the motions. Mourinho's making changes, barking out instructions, and... Then it becomes 3-0. And Spurs are just in shock at this point. They did have one opportunity towards the end from Harry Kane that the Zagreb goalkeeper like dives across his goal, saves it. I don't know how. And it ends 3-2 on aggregate. And Spurs bow out of the competition after being 2-0 up in the first leg. Talk about bottling it, huh? <laughs> that is the right term. <laughs> That That is the right term. No, but it's an interesting one, given Jose Mourinho stated several weeks ago that maybe the route to the Champions League in the future would be through being successful in the Europa League, making sure you make an extended run, i.e. winning the thing, which he doesn't want to say to get ahead of himself. And on paper, Rahul, 2-0 up, the Tottenham Hotspur squad versus, no disrespect, the Dinamo Zagreb squad, them going through losing a manager who's in jail... A lot of these things add up to this should be an easy one. Even if you don't score on the night, you would imagine a nil-nil, be professional and take it to go. But I don't know what else to say other than Tottenham doing Tottenham things. This is what Tottenham does. <laughs> <laughs> they, get, they get into an opportunity and unfortunately, they bottle it. I, I, there's no other way to say this. It's it, And it points to jokes aside now. It's, it, it's hard to see Jose Mourinho... We've got very fond memories of him. You and I respect him tremendously. Yes, sometimes we may banter him, but 
all that aside, it was hard to see him on the sidelines just not knowing what was going on because these players didn't seem to have the mentality, didn't seem to have the motivation to say, guys, we've got to step it up here. We were about to go out of a competition that we should be at least looking to get to the final, like you said. And then Jose Mourinho comes out and gives a brutally honest interview. I don't know if you've seen it or if the listeners have, have seen it. But if you haven't, go listen to it. And he basically calls out the whole club. Um, and I know a lot of people say, well, he never takes a blame for a loss. But this one wasn't on him at all. He did everything he could from the sides. But sometimes players just have to step up and they didn't. So really quickly, I want like your summary and your sentence here of your opinion in, in just a minute on this question. Is Jose Mourinho finished? And by I mean finished, yes, he's always going to coach because that's his passion and whatnot. But is he finished as a top-tier coach? Or is the Tottenham club structure, players that they recruit and bring in, not good enough as far as winning mentality? Because you've got a 2-0 win here and you've thrown it away towards your best chance at a major European trophy. I don't think he's finished I do think his methods are a little ancient. I do think the way he goes about preparing for games, like the Arsenal game, where he just paid them too much respect. I mean, you're Tottenham. You were coming into that game full of confidence, um, and you didn't take the game to them. So in those terms, I do feel that he can do better. But he's also won so many titles his way that I don't think he's ever going to just say, I'm going to go do a full 180 and be a different coach. That's just not going to happen. Uh, on the flip side, Tottenham, you say they bottled it. We've seen this season after season. There's just not that mentality there. Pochettino couldn't get it. Mourinho can't seem to get it. Yes, they may go on and win the Carabao Cup. Uh, but for a team like Tottenham, for the players that they have, Harry Kane turning 28, I believe, this year, to have only won and I'm getting ahead again, the Carabao Cup, shows that there's something lacking in that squad. And maybe Jose stays and fixes it and can get players that, you know, have that mentality like he did at Chelsea. But again, I don't think the modern fo footballer can be managed the way Jose managed the likes of Terry, Lampard, Drogba, Czech, SEN, Joe Cole with his constant criticism. So I think on that side, there's something that Jose has got to change as well. So in a long roundabout way, Jose is finished. No, I'm just kidding. Jose is not probably going to be the upper echelons of winning tri title after title after title. He'll be in and around there and have some good moments probably. So, But that really covers you know, Tottenham Hotspur, Europe, Premier League. I think you want to jump into a more and more successful side of Chelsea, and that is our ladies. Can't get enough of this team. They keep winning. They keep winning trophies. They keep breaking records. Uh, and so we'll start off uh, to last weekend where they played in the Conti Cup final, the League Cup final for the women. And they won this last year. And so they were coming in as defending champions. And within the first 15, 20 minutes, we're 2-0 up against Bristol City and went on to win this game 6-0. And yes, this was a final. Yeah, a stroll in the park for them. Absolutely. And a hat-trick from Sam Kerr. Uh, a backflip, iconic backflip that you may have seen that we put on Instagram. 
It's something that she's known to do while celebrating goals and hadn't done for a long, long time. So that came out in the final. A brace from Fran Kirby, but let me tell you, she was involved in all six goals. So don't let the brace fool you because she was instrumental. And then a final goal from Guru Raitan. And that secures the second Continental League Cup trophy. And and wonderful to just continue down this path. But need to talk for just a second here on Super Fran. Because every time we do an episode, her name comes up one way or the other. Yes, there are other girls on the team. Yes, they continue to perform. But this player really, really, really is up there in, in becoming one of the best. And I don't think she's talked about enough. She's not. And you know, Jackie, last season or about 18 months ago... She almost stopped playing football. She had a condition with her heart and she had to stay away from the team and the sport that she loves. And it was tough, but she made a comeback and she's come back like she just didn't have time off. She just hit the ground running and scoring and contributing. And in this game, you could see that assisting Sam Kerr and Wrighton meant as much to her as scoring her own goals. So that shows you her mentality and and the team player that she is. And we talk about her literally every week because we cover the women's game and she's involved week after week. So the consistency she brings is top notch and uh, definitely love to see her play in person someday. Oh, yeah. Ditto. Uh, The only disappointment from the final was uh, Maren Mielda. We had spoken about her a couple of weeks ago, picked up a knee injury which was first feared to be maybe an ACL or just another ligament, but uh, nothing that bad. She will still be out for the rest of the season, but will make her come back in preseason. So hopefully she can fully recover and come back and continue doing what she was doing. And so that was the game from the weekend. The Chelsea women's team did actually play uh, the same night as the men's team against Everton away and won 3-0 with goals from Fran Kirby, uh, Pernail Hada. I think, you, Jackie, you said a different way of saying it, so I'll let you say it this time. Pernail Erda. <laughs> Erda. And uh, Mel- Melanie Leopold's won, uh, getting the goals and securing an away win against Everton, which keeps the Chelsea women two points above second place Man City in the league. And they now go prepare for a Champions League quarterfinal so yes they are also in the quarterfinals against Wolfsburg next week and then we'll come back and play Aston Villa at home on the 28th of March and then go back for the second leg man the games keep coming thick and fast but they seem to stand up to every challenge that's thrown their way and I for one I'm really really excited to see what they do and pull us forward I'm not trying to get ahead of myself like with the men's team but maybe they can make a good run into the Women's Champions League final as well. Absolutely. And they seem to be clicking on all cylinders. So wishing them all the best and wishing, like I said, uh, Marin Mielda a speedy recovery. And we'll continue to watch them and cover them. So typically we have another segment we do here, which is our favorite segment, The Blast from the Past. But we want to talk a little bit about the England squad that was named for the World Cup qualifiers. And there's a little bit of surprise. There's also some happy names been listed there from the Chelsea squad. So, Rahul, what do you have for us? Yes, yeah, so Gareth Southgate named his England squad. 
I'll run through the names and then we can just discuss a little bit on who made it and who didn't. So Dean Henderson from Manchester United, Jam Sean, uh, excuse me, Sam Johnstone from West Bromwich Albion, and Nick Pope are the three goalies uh, going into the defenders. Chili B from our club, Connor Cody from Wolves, Eric Dyer from Spurs, Beast James. From our club, Harry Maguire from United, Tyron Minks from Villa, Luke Shaw from United, John Stones, who's been scoring for fun, so maybe he should be an attacker. Uh, Kyrian Trippier from Atletico Madrid, which is kind of an odd one, and Kyle Walker are the defenders. In midfield, we have Jude Bellingham, the youngster, who just made his debut, uh, I believe in October or November. Phil Foden, Jesse Lingard, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips from Leeds United. Declan Rice and James Ward-Prowse are the midfielders. And the forwards are Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Bukayo Saka, Raheem Sterling, and Ollie Watkins. So England have a whole host of talent. You've said a couple of names here that I'm scratching my head as well in, in Kieran Tipia, for example, making in over Aaron Wan-Bissaka as one of the right backs. But... Very, very interesting to see there. Jesse Lingard was a player that was forgotten about until recent times, and now he's back into the England fold as well. So very exciting for him. Rahul, there are so many names that are missing from here. You're talking about James Madison, who did not make it in here. I'm not sure how his name doesn't come up in this list. Did I, did I miss Jack Grealish in this list yeah, as well? Yes, so I think those two were injured, so that okay. helped Southgate out a little bit. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And other ones injured were like Harvey Barnes making his right. chances. Uh, you know, a lot of good players that didn't make it. And we do have some great strikers in England. But one name that's been brilliant this season for Leeds is Patrick Bamford. I think he's got 12 goals so far this season and doesn't get a call up. It's kind of disappointing, I think, for him. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. And I wonder if the injury he picked up in the last week or so against Chelsea played a role in it. Uh, only time will tell, but on the other side, he's giving Ollie Watkins, who's been, who's been good all season, a, a run and an opportunity to see what he can bring. So um, some good decisions and some odd ones, like you mentioned. That, that Trippier one just blows my mind because he was suspended for 10 weeks for a, a betting scandal. And he still makes it over Aaron Wambasaka, who's been solid all season long. Yeah, I don't understand that one either. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like, he does have a whole host of right backs that are good enough in Kyle Walker and our very own Reese James. So maybe that's going into the thinking. Maybe Aaron Van Basaka is too similar to one of them. I don't know. But some of these things will never add up. There's always going to be people that are disappointed that they don't make the squad. There's always going to be fans that will be disappointed that don't make the squad. But Overall, England have a very, very, very strong squad. Probably one of the strongest I've seen since the golden generation that you and I grew up with, with the likes of Beckham, Scholes, Lamps, Gerrard, Joe Cole, Rooney, Owen. I mean, Ferdinand, Terry, it goes on and on and on. So if anybody can win something, this squad really has the potential, and I'm just going to sit back and watch. I agree. And the one player that, the right back that we just want to, I want to touch on real quick is Trent Alexander-Arnold. And so he's been left out because Southgate said he hasn't performed well the last few weeks and months, which is bold of Southgate to do because Alexander-Arnold in any other country makes the squad, hands down. But the talent that we have in England at right back, 
makes it tough. And I think this is a firing shot to Alexander Arnold that if you don't pick it up in the next couple of months, you probably aren't going to make the Euro squad. So uh, interesting to see how he comes back. Yeah, and to be fair, I think Gareth Southgate is correct. Given Liverpool's struggles and how they've been performing, he hasn't been the best. So definitely good to see Reese James get an opportunity and, and other players there as well. Totally. And I hope for these players and our players from Chelsea, no one picks up a serious injury or anything in these internationals. Uh, to me, I almost am like, just finish the, the club season and then focus on the internationals. But I guess everyone's got to make their money. <laughs> So now on to our favorite segment here from what we love to do and bring up historical players that in some cases are no longer playing. In other cases, they may be playing. So we are going to talk about the blast from the past. And Rahul, why don't you jump into a player that is still playing, but you want to use as the blast from the past? Yeah, because some people may have forgotten about him. (laughs) And so I just want to refresh your memory And also, I'm doing this because we face Sheffield United this weekend in the FA Cup. And so this person actually played for Sheffield United, and that is Gary Cahill. So the centre-back, Gary Cahill, began his career at Aston Villa and spent four years at the club. He spent one of those seasons on loan at Sheffield United, uh, where he made 16 appearances and scored twice. Uh, He then moved to Bolton Wanderers from Villa in 2008 for £5 million and spent four years there. And then in January of 2012, Andre Rias-Boas was our manager and we needed a center back. And we went to Bolton and spent £7 million to bring Gary Cahill to Chelsea. And within the first four or five months of Cahill being at the club, uh, he went from playing at Bolton to winning a Champions League final in Munich with Chelsea. Uh, and so he, I guess in those four months, turned himself into a legend for the club because he also won the FA Cup and then went on to win two Premier League titles, a Carabao Cup, and every trophy that he could have won at Chelsea, he did. He made a total of 191 appearances for the club, scoring 13 goals. And in 2019, left on a free transfer at the end of the season. His contract was up and joined Crystal Palace and has been there for the last two and a half, uh, one and a half, two seasons. And even at the age of 35, Jackie, I know he slowed down a little bit. He looks very, very good at the heart of the Palace defense. Rahul, I loved, loved Gary Cahill because he was that John Terry type mold of a center back in that he was big, tall, strong, and always willing to put his body on the line. I can't tell you how many times I remember Cahill was there with his head, with his chest, with his legs, with his back, just to block it, just always willing to do it. And rightly so was a legend in such a short time as within joining because he did perform every single game. A little bit of a sour memory with him not playing enough underneath Maurizio Sarri, but unfortunately every good career sometimes comes to an end. But wow, what a great blast from the past you picked, my friend. All right, I have gone for a Tottenham Hotspur X, just because we've been talking about them here. But this man, a lot of people may not know a lot about him, but he really was a quick legend to enter the Premier League. And this was Lee Young Pyo, a South Korean legend in his own right. Lee Young Pyo was a right-footed left back. He started his career with FC Seoul, which was called Anyang LG Cheetahs back in the day. 
He was called up to play for South Korea in that famous team in the World Cup of 2002. He played for another blast from the past year in Gus Hiddings. And a lot of people may know this name over here. Gus Hiddings recruited him to go to PSV in the summer of 2002. And the young left back obliged. He played three full seasons for PSV, notching 115 appearances and helping PSV to a lengthy run in the Champions League going into the semifinals in that great 2004-2005 season. I think that's really when he burst onto the European season, uh, scene. He was one of the best left backs in Holland before another blast from the past. Sorry, I'm dropping these names here. Martin Yol signed him to Tottenham Hotspurs. So here's where we tie him to Tottenham. He was an instant hit in that first season and made that left back position his own he also played at right back throughout his stay there given competition and different injuries he played three full seasons for tottenham hotspurs making 93 appearances before moving on to borussia dortmund for one season he then moved on to al hilal in saudi arabia for a couple of seasons and then finished his career in the mls with the vancouver whitecaps so that is lee young pio I love that blast from the past because I totally forgotten about him, um, and so I was while you were saying it, I was I was thinking back and his, his face is coming back and I can remember him in that Tottenham jersey and he definitely featured a few times yep. against us. So a, a very powerful and and strong and energetic left back. Uh, but Jackie, like I mentioned, we have a game coming up this weekend real quick. So I just wanted to get a score prediction before we wrap it up. Yeah, so typically we've been sticking with the 1-0s, Rahul. After beating Atletico, I'm feeling <laughs> a little more confident given that we're playing Sheffield. So I think we can take this one, and we should be taking this one three goals to the nail. Nice. I, I like that. And move on to the semifinals of the FA Cup. Uh, I think so, too. I think at least two or three nil. Without Chris Wilder, Sheffield look a little lost. And so I think we should capitalize on that and win it. So... Uh, we'll be back, guys, and we'll do a review of the Sheffield United game. But until then, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us at, at the Premier Chels. We're available on all major podcast providers. Uh, we're also available on Instagram and Twitter, and we do engage with our followers, like we've been saying. So shoot us a message or, or uh, send us a comment if you want to communicate. And we will be back to do a Sheffield United review. And then there's this little international break. So we may do a special episode, Jackie. We're, we're talking about that. Um, so we will be back, guys. But until then, stay safe and up the chels.